John the Viking Mauser here with the Get Strong or Die podcast. Today my guest is Ricky Stanzi. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. How are you? Thanks for having me. <clears throat> uh, very good. Um, as always, I uh, wanted to start out with just a brief um, background. Uh, can you tell us just a little bit um, about about yourself, uh, how you got into to movement and fitness and everything, <laughs> and then um, and just segue right into what you're doing now with the uh, the Gota Locomotive Systems. Yeah, so you know, born and raised in Cleveland, um, traditional kid, played a bunch of sports growing up. Basketball and football were my two favorite. Uh, I was fortunate enough to go to the University of Iowa to play football. Um, from there, I went to the NFL. I uh, was there for four years, bounced around the CFL for a year and a half, and then here I am now um, working on movement. Um, but my movement journey really started in 2011, um, right when I left college. I kind of I uh, hired a throwing coach, Tom Martinez, who was Tom Brady's throwing coach. Um, that was kind of the first time I was introduced to you know sagittal plane frontal plane mechanics biomechanics understanding where the feet should be started to try to take a deep dive on it and i started to actually you know look at movement um for the first time in slow motion not knowing what i was looking at but at the same time i was at least trying to understand movement better um because i felt that my mechanics were falling off that i was kind of i was missing something there was something i didn't quite understand um my body was starting to react away to certain training methods that it hadn't done before. You know, I would go to reach under center and I'd throw my back out. I would wake up and have foot pain. I'd, you know, tweak my groin constantly. My left hip felt like it had a flamethrower to it. So it was more of a, I need to figure this out or I'm going to keep getting cut. So I need to kind of take a deep dive on my own to try to understand what's going on. And then just slowly, piece by piece, um, I started gathering more information and just I really did, did try to go at it objectively and just let it take me where it may take me. Um, I spent time studying the Western arts. I looked at Supple Leopard by Kelly Surratt was one of you know the first books that influenced me. Um, I did a lot of diving into the Eastern arts, you know, yoga, pranayama, breathing, Shaolin monks, uh, martial arts, um, took some time to look at gymnastics, spent time. Um, looking at it from more of a um, indigenous tribe perspective, more of a posture-related perspective, um, how do we develop? That kind of got me into Spinal Engine, which got me into looking at Instagram and looking at you know Coach Gill's work, David Weck's work, um, looking at the sort of examination of locomotion and what really happens when we put that foot in the ground. And then that kind of blended into a relationship with me and Coach Gill and um, I kept learning from him and, you know, he invited me on board and, and now I'm, you know, one of the, the, the master coaches and I um, am fortunate enough to, to help teach the system to the new coaches coming in. And that's kind of, um, what leads me up to right now. Very cool. That's, that's a lot, uh, a lot going on, a lot of research. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I don't even know where to begin to break some of that down, but, uh, on your, um, your Instagram, you have there's a, there's a lot of uh, I'm gonna call them hot topics. I don't know if that's accurate yeah. or not, but you could say a hot take for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, some things that that you guys kind of go after, um, and you have the um, the Goda movement, and then um, is that is it Woda movement? Woda, Woda. yes, yeah, um, and uh, some of that's on par with what we're doing in Strongman um, with, with the feet. 
Um, can you tell us a little right. bit about um, just the outside of the feet uh, versus um, the inside of the foot and those sorts of things? Because that's one of the biggest things I see on your um, Instagram that you guys are talking about. Absolutely. Um, so GOTA stands for greatest of all time actions. WOTA stands for worst of all time actions. So when Coach Gill first set out to try to figure this out, it was all a let's look at the slow motion evidence. Let's study movement as it's happening in real time in sports, not in a doctored research type of way, but just organically. So he looked at really four tribes. He looked at the crawling baby. He looked at the indigenous people. He looked at the decade plus super freak athletes that never broke down. And then he also looked at the 70 plus age group at the marathon. So you take that lifespan really of the human body of human locomotion, and you start to see a pattern show itself, a pattern that was starting to present itself um, among the people that were the most durable. Because that's, that's probably the first thing that we have to start with when we explain GOTA is that the idea for Gilly was how do we prevent people from getting hurt? Because there's so many people having non-contact ACLs, non-contact Achilles, chronic pain, chronic pools for unexplained reasons. And then you look at the joint replacement numbers and they're through the roof. So something's up. And so he kind of went at it from that lens. What he noticed was as he started to overlay this, you know, security infrastructure that we see, which I'll talk more about, which what we see in slow motion, he started to overlay that into Gary's already training model that he was working at or working with in Louisiana. Um, What they noticed was not only the athlete more secure, but their fluidity, their explosivity went up. And so in regards to the foot, what we're really saying is, the, the, the GOTAs, the way they pressurize the ground or the way that they interact with the ground is they use the outside edge. So they use the top outside corner of the foot, if you will. David Wett calls it the green dot. We call it a pivot point system. So it's more of a swivel to us, if that makes sense. So we, we see the, the human body moving in a pivot. So it's not so much fighting gravity as it is surfing it. You're going to take the energy, you're going to move it around a corner, the corner being the outside edge of the foot. That's going to load up the tissue. And so what you do from there is you take that loaded up tissue and you move it back around the corner and you release it. So the outside edge is the strong side. We call it the strong side of the foot. The inside edge, that's what we saw linked to the WOTA behavior. So when when an athlete would tear the ACL, when an athlete would tear the Achilles, when we saw somebody who had chronic pain or would have a bunch of chronic pulls in their history, we noticed a common pattern showing amongst them also. They were more inside edge. They would be what we would call duck feet, right? We've been using that term, which is funny because duck's feet are actually straight if you actually look at them. But when you think duck foot with a human, you think toes splayed out. What that does is, like I said before, it's a pivot point. Uh, technology. So we're going to move energy around a corner. You can move that energy around the outside corner or you can move that energy around the inside corner. The problem with the inside corner is that now you're outside of the security structure. So the security structure of what we call inside ankle bone high. So if you think of the bony landmark down at your foot and ankle complex, that is the the inside portion of that would be the tibia bone. Just think of it as your shin bone. It's the way I call it. Shin bone, There's an inside landmark and an outside landmark. We want the inside landmark to be higher. 
what that does or what that's indicating to me as a slow motion um, coach is that your security structure is intact. You're moving inside of your innate security structure. So your foot and ankle complex, your knee complex, your hip, your lower back, they're all safe and secure. So now you can take that pressure wave, you can load it up and you can slingshot it back in and you can do it all while not dropping that inside ankle bone low. When we don't know that security structure and we are trying to, for the task at hand, or this happens, see this happens not only in the weight room, this happens with field technicians, um, O-line coaches, receiver coaches, DB coaches, uh, basketball coaches. They'll teach people to push off the inside edge. Golf coaches do it um, because we don't know or there wasn't any evidence before this that there was some sort of way to keep the tissue safe. There was no, you know, we knew the knee valgus was bad. There's plenty of research on that. But we also knew that the knee had to go in. So people were kind of confused on what to do with it because if you watch locomotion, the knee has to go in. You can't keep it out. But for the knee to move in in a way that allows it just to hinge, there's something going on at the foot that keeps that secure. And if you take a deep dive and you just kind of look at, just look at the anatomy of the foot and ankle. So when you look at, if you Googled the arches of the feet or you Googled uh, the you know foot and ankle complex, what you'll often see is people will draw that with more of a neutral orientation, almost like the arch is even. But what we're saying is no, what actually is happening is the arch is sloped. There's a slope down to four and five, those foot bones. And what that creates is sort of a, a mountainside or like a, 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 an edge of the foot that you can surf energy around. If you think about the inside edge of the foot, since there's a slope downward to four and five, well, what does that make the inside edge? It makes it a cliff. So when you move energy around a cliff, what happens is that pressure wave, which is really your body weight dealing with gravity, it's going to crash all that energy back up into the joint segments of the foot and ankle, into the knee, into the hip, into the lower back, and through repetitive stress, that's where we see the connective tissue breakdown. It's not necessarily that people are being hurt underneath the bar or people are being even hurt during the lift. That's not what's happening. People are being hurt because they don't know that they're changing their pivot points when they are lifting to an inside edge pivot point. And then when they leave the weight room and they go put a thousand steps on their body, they've now changed the pivot point to inside edge. So they're outside the security structure. So those thousand steps is what's breaking down your connective tissue. It's more of a wear and tear problem that we're dealing with, which makes it difficult to point the finger back to any one thing because it's a lot of things that are pulling us out of this structure. It's not just training. It's also the way we, the shoes and the way they've been designed. And it's also the chair and the way that we rest. So that's kind of a long tangent on the foot, but also taking a little bit of a deeper dive into how the foot works and why we say outside edge. Very cool. Yeah. I think, I think that's super important. <clears throat> and I want to talk about that some more. Um, there, there's a lot there. Uh, so one thing I found very interesting you said was there there are coaches out there teaching to drive off of the inside of the foot. Um, and I haven't seen that. Um, and that's interesting because I talked to uh, uh, Don McCauley um, last year. I had him on the podcast twice. 
and I also mm-hmm. talked to uh, Glenn Pendley. Both those guys passed away last year. Um, I was lucky enough to have them on the podcast uh, before that happened. And um, one of the disagreements the two guys had, which I thought was really funny, was um, <clears throat> Don McCauley invented the catapult system. We won't get into all that. And um, Pendley said it wasn't that he didn't understand why he harped so much about um, whether the the they did triple extension. He said, nobody's teaching this triple extension, yada, yada, yada. And when you mm-hmm. talk to Don McCauley, he said, all these people are teaching triple extension. That's why I tell them not to do it. And from my right. experience, most people do teach triple extension. So some people, right. it just depends where you're at and who you're seeing and who you're around. And I think, um, 100%. I think that's a big disconnect when a lot of people see stuff on Instagram. You only got a minute, um, unless you do. David Weck style and you machine gun post every day. Right. But, uh, you know, you only got a minute and it, and some yep. people will see stuff and they'll see like what you're doing or what I'm doing or what anybody else is doing. And they'll say, well, why is this guy harping about this? Nobody does that, but that's not necessarily true. It depends where you're at. If I'm not around NFL coaches, they might all be doing right. something. Um, and you might not right. be around middle school coaches or, you know, um, so I think it's important that, that people understand the perspective, and that's one reason I wanted to get you on here and talk about this was because a lot of people, in my mind, I've never seen anyone say push off the inside of the foot. That That's madness to me. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but obviously it's happening, and, and that's, that is, uh, yeah. to me, it's obvious that you wouldn't want to do that, but I guess there are people out there that think that's a good idea. <laughs> um, yeah, and I guess, yeah, uh, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, um, And just getting back to it, like, why is it a bad idea? When you think about, like, most um, activities, everybody harps about force production. And, you know, even Mm -hmm. running or jumping, it's all about force production, right? Um, You can run faster with more force production. You can jump higher, this and that. So I think it's important that you look at the foot because that's where the force is being projected and transmitted into the ground. But a lot of people don't. uh, Most people just don't think of that. And, um, and honestly, it took a long time for me to realize to think about the foot because I think naturally had I not had any influence, right? If I had just kind of not read stuff and it would have been obvious, but when you read and you see all these videos from all these other coaches and all these other people and nobody's talking about the foot and they're all like, you got to pay attention to where your knees at and where your hips at and this and that, you just completely forget the foot exists and but once I realized, like, well, hey, there is a foot, and it's like where all this is happening, that's pretty important. My lifts all went up. Um, I, I got faster. I could jump higher. All my athletics became better, and um, and it was obvious. Like, hey, man, you want to be on the outside of the foot. <laughs> yes, that's where the power is. I mean, think of it from the hand. Like, if you just use your hand as another example, everybody knows, like, a good push-up would be you put your hand in the ground, and you create torque or you move, you know, in a way, you surf the energy around the outside edge of your hand. If you just look at your hand when you create an arch on the ground, you st- it slopes to the four and five, and you really try to get that index and thumb far away from the ground. You're not actually pushing with the thumb and the index, even from like a, an old lineman perspective or a receiver trying to block. I wouldn't want to block you with my inside edge of my hand. I would punch you with the outside edge of my hand. I would keep that inside wrist bone high and protected. It's the same sort of technology at the foot. It's really the same concept. Um, The other thing 
that becomes troublesome with inside edge is where people put the feet as they go to drive into the ground. And so that's another one that people get confused with us because we'll say columns a lot. We'll say, get your feet underneath your hips. And so what we mean by that or how we could clarify that better is that it goes back to, once again, the injuries. When we see an athlete tear an ACL, right? Like, let's take the Jimmy Garoppolo uh, ACL tear a few years ago. He's running to the sideline to the left. And now he's got to put that foot in the ground because he's going to stop all his mass and momentum. And he's going to try to change direction. So what you're asking for is really that max neural drive moment. That max neural drive moment is also what you're asking for in the weight room. So... If you ask something in the weight room, you better expect that it's going to show up on the field when the athlete goes to move. We also have to be aware of who's this athlete. What is it that they are doing? So when Jimmy goes to run, he goes to stick that left foot in the ground. Guess what he does? He puts his foot outside his hip. Not saying that the foot won't go outside the hip, but he puts his foot outside the hip and the heel slams down and the inside edge becomes where he's trying to put pressure. And then the knee doesn't have a place to move the energy around the outside edge. It collapses down as he goes to drive. You see an ACL shred. They're all the exact same. So we try to get our athletes to have their feet underneath their hips so that when they go to drive, they can set a bow, meaning they can take that energy and move it around the outside edge of the body and then bring it back inward towards the inside of the body, but do it in a way that keeps the connective tissue and the joint segments safe. Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, I, I wanted to, uh, go back to just with lifting in that example and where the feet are at. Obviously, if, especially if you're like a suited power lifter, right. <clears throat> and you're going to, have, yeah. you're going to squat, you're going to be wider than the hips. You're going to be like ridiculously sure. stupid wide. Right. Um, for sure. Um, and, and I don't know that that would necessarily carry over to the field, but I don't know why you'd be squatting in a suit and then playing a sport anyway, <laughs> but, but that's, right. that's yep. like what, who, who's in question? What's the, what's right. the context of what we're right. That's um, always important. But I think, um, one of the important things to note is, uh, we're talking about the outside of the foot. And like you said, with the push up the outside of the hand, um, I think something that people overlook or don't think about or whatever the case is, um, that builds your foundation, right? A strong foundation is a wide yeah. foundation, like a pyramid, right? If you're on the inside right. of your feet or even your hands, like you said in that, that push-up um, example, you have narrowed your foundation. And yeah. we know that yeah, uh, if, if you overhead press, wider feet makes it easier. That, that's why when you split jerk, I mean, part of the reason is because you drop under the barbell, but the other reason is is because you're right. so wide you can't fall down, right? Um, right. So wide feet creates this this great foundation, and I think that that's um, super important for balance and super important for uh, force production and all these things. And I, I don't see a lot of people um, talking about that. And I think that goes along with um, another thing that uh, I learned very early on when I was in college for coaching. And I don't know that the, I don't know. There's been a lot of debate about this. So whether it's true or not, I learned something from it. Um, they, they always talk about, uh, women in athletics have like a 25% higher chance of tearing an ACL. Um, and there's some, there's some debate as to why that is. Some say, uh, it's hormone fluctuation. Some say this and that, but one of the things that's always brought up in the debate is hip to knee angle. Um, they generally have yep. a wider hip, So the knee goes in 
and everybody knows this. Everybody's heard this. <laughs> Every everybody that's went to college for exercise science, exercise fidge, athletic coaching, any of those things, or anybody <clears throat> that's reading Gill's work or anybody's work, perform better, whoever, they know that that they know of that, and they know that the knees going in causes the ACL problem. Like everybody knows right. that. Everybody knows that. <laughs> but for, sure. for, for some re- for some reason. Nobody has thought the foot and being on the outside edge and widening the foundation would prevent that. It's like a house. If 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 you build or a pyramid, if the bottom was smaller than the top, you're you're going to collapse. And mm-hmm. this is obvious to me, but for some reason all anybody wants to do is harp about the knee itself and they say, Well, put your knee to the outside. But you literally can't do that if you're on the inside of your foot. You just can't do it. Yes. You can't be Knee out and foot in. It just doesn't work. <laughs> doesn't work. Not part of the design. <laughs> yeah, and I. But I just don't know. I, I. This is what blows my mind about the whole situation, especially when when you're talking about injury, is like literally everybody knows that the knee going in is terrible. But they, yeah. they haven't. Like guys like you and Weck and a couple other people have figured out, you know, to think about the the foot, and, and obviously you do have to think about the knee to a certain extent, but. Right. It's like there's, and I'm talking NFL coaches or um, Olympic co- coaching, Olympic athletes, um, world class powerlifters, world class. I even see them and they ignore this. And um, I don't think, like I said, I've not seen anybody teaching to push off the inside of the foot specifically and say, hey, do that. But I have seen people watch someone do something, the foot's obviously collapsed in, which is pushing the knee in, and then ignore it. I have seen that mm-hmm. and um, I see mm-hmm. that all the time. In fact, like that's all, I mean, I could go, you could go on Instagram right now. I could scroll through my feed and find that <laughs> within five Better. minutes. And that's just as bad. I think um, as telling someone to yeah. do it. Cause you know, you're allowing it to happen. Um, and I just find that, um, that maddening. And that's one of the great things um, I think uh, about what you're specifically doing is with the injuries. Cause even like David Weck and some of the other people, they're, they kind of are more on the, um, the performance side, like, hey, this will make you faster, this will make you... Not that you're not doing that, too, but you're also right, really right, like, no. you're also really like, hey, this is going to, like, you're not going to get mangled, <laughs> which is pretty, yeah. pretty I mean, important. We're, we're, yeah, like, we're trying to... A good way of saying this is like, hey, listen, we're slow motion junkies. Like, that's what we do. We're, we're, we're watching slow motion video hours on end every single day. Here's what we found from an evidence standpoint. I don't care what it is that you do specifically. Like you're a power lifter, you're, you're competing. So you're going to do things that are going to be different than my eighth grader. Who's trying to be a lacrosse star. You know what I'm saying? Like there's right. going to be different things that are going to trained. Obviously what we're saying is, Hey, we found the blueprint. We found the design. We found the way this thing works to stay safe. Just overlay this blueprint on what it is that you do Use this knowledge that we have with what it is that you do so that you can go through life staying safe. Like nobody wants to have their joint replaced. Nobody wants to be injured. It's miserable. So if you have a way to protect yourself and you have at least the knowledge or have at least heard it, then you're you're in a position where, you know, you can make a better decision about what it is or how it is that you lift, right? You'll at the very least take a look at your foot. You know what I'm saying? When you're getting ready to lift, 
have a thought about, hey, what is this thing doing? Is it going to be safe the way that I'm doing it? Um, and I think kind of back to your point about not nobody really paying attention to the foot. I mean, if you think about it from a fact that we have shoes on, we are so sensory deprived in that area of the body that by the time we're even going to start to look at what the foot does, we've been we've been so desensitized from all the sensory information that we should be getting in our foot. Um, I remember way back in like 2013, maybe my wife was like, I started looking at Kelly Surratt and he was talking about straight feet. And he, my wife was like, dude, your, your foot collapses when you walk. I'm like, no, it doesn't. She's like, yeah, it does. She's like, let me put it on tape. She put it on tape and there it was. I was like, oh man, my foot did collapse. Like I didn't think that. Um, I didn't know that I had no awareness of it because I had never even, your, your body's not really like, listen, we're hunter gatherers. You're not, you don't need to think about this stuff. You've got to worry about staying alive, but we've gotten ourselves out of that, you know, out of the food chain. So now we've got freedom, but for three and a half million years, all it was, was hunter gatherer. We fucked all that up within the last 300 years, essentially, because we have not been able to see that there is collateral damage to shoes. There is collateral damage to chairs. There is collateral damage to improper training. There just is, but thankfully there's a way to reprogram ourselves because our nervous system is so malleable. Yeah, for sure. You're listening to Get Strong or Die. We'll be back right after this. This episode is brought to you by Mauser Strength Dynamics one-on-one -on -one online coaching. So if you're looking for a satisfaction guarantee and you want to win competitions, or maybe you're constantly suffering from injuries and you don't know where to turn, or maybe you're just looking for some one-on-one -on -one support from a world-class strength coach, then Mauser Strength Dynamics is the coaching for you. So if you want more information, then find John at John the Viking Mauser on Facebook or at Mauser Strength on Instagram. I want to touch back on, um, you know, uh, shoes and, and desensitizing. I think one of the real tragedies there is um, for adults, you have a huge, um, and it might be better now, but you have a huge shoe selection, right? And, yes. and, um, and uh, adults can typically um, have a little more say in uh, what they can wear and where they can wear it. Um, like I can go to the gym and I go, I bare, I'm barefoot at the gym all the time. If you watch my videos, I'm, I mean, that's yeah, I've seen that. Um, I'll even compete barefoot if they let me. <laughs> a lot of times they just don't right, let right. they don't let you, but uh, I I do that. Um, but kids, it's different. Kids don't have nearly the options. Um, literally on the shelves, they don't have the options, and the stuff that's marketed to them. Um, it's huge and bulky. And I mean, I see these kids, they come to the gym, um, you know, the, the people at the gym, they train uh, basketball and football and all these other things, soccer. And these kids come in in these shoes. And their, their shoes literally look like giant concrete blocks. I, I'm always shocked at the size of their shoes. It's terrible, right? <laughs> it's, it it's blows terrible. my mind. And, but then there's also peer pressure, right? Like they, a kid doesn't really have the option of selecting a shoe based on um, any type of performance or actual functionality. There's there's a certain amount of peer pressure involved. Um, there's a certain amount of marketing involved. There's also a limited selection. And then there's also peer pressure on the parents because like a lot of other parents would shame the parents of a child if they were letting, if they had videos of their kid running around the gym barefoot. Um, 
you know, they, oh, you're going to drop something on your foot or this kid's going to do whatever. And I think all those things um, really compound yeah. on a kid, you know. Uh, an adult has a lot more um, say, you know what I mean? <clears throat> oh, yeah, like, that's why one thing I, I try to tell, you know, family, friends, people that have young kids, I'll always say keep your kid barefoot. And let them stay on the ground as long as possible. Let them crawl. Mm-hmm. You know, we're Gota is stand up crawling. Like what we're essentially teaching you to do with your body when you when you walk is what the baby's doing when it crawls. It's the same pressure waves moving through the shoulder, spine, hip, ankle. So letting your baby get on the ground and crawl for a long, but the social norm is: Are they walking yet? Can they walk? Did you try to get them to walk? And they'll they'll force the baby into something it doesn't need to be doing yet. Or even worse, I can't say how many little two-year-old, three-year-olds I've seen with like Air Jordans on or like a Skechers that is oh, basically yeah. like it's a sensory deprivation chamber. It's, it's their little feet are still growing and you're kind of doing a version of Chinese foot binding and you're really doing them a disservice as they go out into the life and they start because they're at the point where they're layering motor skills onto that frame you know they're starting to learn about their environment if you look at how much sensory information comes from the foot like you said let them run around outside barefoot i my wife always yells at me she's like their feet are muddy i'm like so like that's part of it <laughs> yeah that's part of being is having muddy feet like that was just one of the things that we dealt with i mean the toughest skin on the on the body is at the bottom of the foot right there's no that's not by coincidence. That's by design. You've got a built-in shoe. We just don't know it. And by the time we start looking for our own answers, we're 30 years old, 20 years old. Your, your foot's wrecked by that point. Now you're in more of a rehab mode. Right. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that's what I was getting at. These kids, um, you know, they, they have these shoes put on, you know, really early. They're, they're the worst possible shoes to wear. Uh, they, they train. And the majority, if you train as a kid you're going to have so many more hours logged training than when you're an adult, just based on time and life. And, you know, a child's uh, practice for any sport is, is longer than any amount of time I spend in the weight room on a given day. Um, No doubt. doubt. So they're, they're really getting hit from three or four different sides. um, As far as like poor, uh, I would call it training, poor training goes. Um, and then you, you, you compound that on top of, like I said, people not knowing of the foot. So the, the coaches can be a really good coach, best coach, you know, great cues, whatever. But if they're not focused on that, that's not going to get any better. Right, right. I mean, it all starts with the foot. And we say that all the time at Gota. We're like, if you don't get the feet right, nothing else upstream could be right. Like you said before, it's the foundation. Just use that simple logic, that simple um, – analogy and you'll see that yeah common sense would tell you that if my foot and ankle complex is messed up well then the knees messed up the hips messed up the low backs messed up um and now you're opening the door for for an injury and that's the problem yeah and i think too um i think cues are necessary but i also think cues are they're kind of dumbed down, right? Like that's what a cue is. It's like a, yeah. a dumbed down thing to tell people. So, so there's problems with that, right? Like there's always yeah. going to be a problem. Yeah. As good as a cue is, there's always going to be a problem. Cause, and, and then every person's going to interpret that differently. I'm, I'm sure you've encountered, like you'll say a cue to nine or 10 people. That's 
and and nine of them will get it, and then you got to come up with a totally new cue for number ten, and yeah. that that's just yes. how it works. Um, I think that one of the big problems, and uh, I I talk about this, I harp about this a lot, is that people will hear cues, or maybe they'll be taught it, right? Like, let's say you're in high school and your coach just says, you're squatting, and he says, push the floor apart, push the floor apart, push the floor apart, and you hear that all the time, but you may not actually understand it. And now you go on, and you're helping your friends, or maybe you're coaching now, or whatever the case is, and you're saying, push the floor apart, push the floor apart. You don't understand it. Now they can't possibly understand it because you don't explain it well. And now they're doing it to the next person. I think there's a lot of this, this cueing that's being pat, poorly passed down, and it's causing a lot of problems too. I totally agree with that. I mean, there's been times where, man, I'll stay up late. I'll be thinking of something that I'm going to cue, and I'm like, oh, I got it this time. They're going to get this. They're going to totally understand it. And you walk in there and you lay that cue down. And they look at you like you are speaking another, and you're like, "Man, really? All right, okay. I guess I guess that wasn't a good cue." So, we always try to think, how many different ways can I say the same thing? And we'll often keep four, five, six cues in our back pocket regarding the exact same thing. It's like even regards to the foot, outside edge, get on the outside blade of your foot, knife edge, the go to bars. Four and five, um, strong side of the. We can find a bunch of different ways to say this one idea, but the the main point, like you're just saying, you got to get somebody to feel it. Yeah, they've got to feel the right thing. They got to know that what they're doing is the right thing through feel, not only you know the audio, not only what they're hearing, but what they're feeling and what that true translation is. So I do try to use feel too. Um, which everybody does. You have to. You know. You should feel it here. You should feel it there, so the athlete or the client knows. Okay, am I doing this right? <laughs> How do I? What's the sign that I'm doing this right? Because the truth is, most of the people that we're going to come across as coaches, they've got poor kinesthetic awareness. They're sort of relying on you to be their sort of kinesthetic intelligence for the time being as you start them on their journey until they're kind of like you know what i get it now i feel it i can kind of i can do this on my own i i see where you're coming from but for a time there they have no idea and you got to show them the map yeah for sure and i think to go along with that um as i was saying you know people pass these cues down and they don't know what they mean i think you also have a lot of people with poor kinesthetic awareness themselves teaching other people and and uh, you know if it's your job and you got to do it you know and not everybody's perfect and everybody's going to have trouble in certain areas and stuff but that is that is a big problem and i see that a lot in um martial arts um martial martial artists in my opinion and i'm not talking the highest level right i'm talking in general just recreational you go to any gym on the street yeah yeah yeah, i'm not poking fun at ufc guys or anything like i'm talking the majority um they have some of the worst body mechanics on the planet (laughs) and and it it blows my mind because i think like man if i was going to fight a human being like that's the most that would be the thing that I would need to perform the best at, right? Like, I don't really... Lifting a stone, okay, yeah, sure. Like, what's the worst that happens? I don't move it. But a fight, like, you could die. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, the, the, the stakes are... 
yeah, the stakes are super high, and these guys just can't move. Yeah. And um, and of course, I, I'm a strong man, so I, I I think you know lifting weights is the answer to that because once you load something, you you kind of have no choice but to do it at least somewhat right. And and martial artists, for whatever reason, are so adamantly opposed to lifting anything heavy. I think that's a, a large part of their problem. But I see that a lot in that community. You'll see a guy that can't squat, couldn't squat to save his life. I'm talking with no weight, like couldn't yeah. squat down properly. They they would drop down, their knees would shoot past their toes. They'd be up on their toes. They'd probably fall over. Yeah. And they're saying, well, you should squat down when you punch. Like, well, you can't squat. <laughs> you know? And, you know, but you know. And you see that all the time. You know, and I'm sure, um, I'm sure it happens in football. I'm sure it's happening everywhere. And these people can't. Um, in football, it's probably a little bit different. I would assume that at some point they could move, and now maybe they've just kind of let themselves go, and now they can't. It's a blend. Yeah, it's a blend. But, but that's still a problem when you go out on the field or in the dojo or in the gym, and you say, hey, like we have to do it. This is how you do it, and you demonstrate it, and you can't demonstrate it properly. Um, yeah. a, a lot of people, me, myself, I can see something and go do it. That that's how I right. oper- that's how I operate. You could talk to me all day, and I'd be like, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> but if you show yes. me, if you show me, I'll go do it. Like right now, I just go do it. Right. Um, and there's a lot of people that learn that way. Um, and I would say even people that don't learn that way, they it, it, it's it's not one or the other. They're still learning maybe ten percent or one percent from watching it. And if you're doing it wrong, and you're squatting down, or you're moving, and your knee's not in the right place, or your foot's collapsing in, that person, especially a kid, I mean, they're just soaking that information in, and um, and then now they're going to apply that, even subconsciously, they're going to do that. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's funny because when Gilly, when Gilly and I would talk, he's like, "Listen, he's like, when I started this journey of trying to figure it out, he's like, I was a level ten woda." He's like, I was wrecked. He goes, I, he had destroyed his back. He had three degenerative discs. He was in pain. He was, he was miserable. He's like, how am I going to know what it should feel like to be healthy and to move like a Goda? How would I possibly know that? I'm the further thing from it. So I've got to see somebody do it. I've got to see what the elite are doing, what the injury are doing. And then I got to go try to feel that in my own body, try to capture that feeling and then wrap it out to where it becomes my normalcy or my, my subconscious pattern. Because that's the fact, is that your movement patterns are going to be in the subconscious. And that's a good thing and a bad thing. It's a, it's a bad thing because you can lose touch with yourself and the way you move in space, like you're talking about the karate guy. Um, but it's also a good thing because it allows you to step into the flow state. It's, it allows you to drop everything beside it. Um, that's when you're going to perform your best. You know, to me, the training model when I get an athlete is I am taking their subconscious, bringing it to the conscious, training it, and then letting it float right back to where it came from. And the more I do that, the conscious, subconscious that I bring to the training table, eventually it'll start to go back and it'll be more go to each time it enters into the subconscious. And I use the example of, hey, you're standing in line at Target. I want you to realize you're, you're standing and you look down at your feet and you go, oh my gosh, my feet are straight, my inside ankle bones are high, I'm in my back chain, I'm in, co-. like you should be subconsciously go to. Yeah. For a while you're going to fake it till you make it, right. but ideally you are subconsciously go to, you're moving in a way that is secure and your nervous system has taken over and it's going to keep you safe 
when you go to the field. When, you, when you're on the field and it's the bullets are flying and your nervous system senses inside ankle bone low because of the position you've been put in, it's either going to send that energy to the other side of the body to a positive shape, a go-to shape, or it's going to tuck that inside ankle bone high and protect the foot and ankle. Just imagine being in a melee and you got six people trying to kick you. You would not stick your toe out and your heel in with your ankle bone low. You would get that joint segment caught and ripped off. Instead, you'd tuck that ankle bone high, move the heel away, and you'd protect that foot and ankle. That same security structure, man, that is what you want to land, load, and turn around the corner and explode. And so you've got to get somebody's brain to to be that subconsciously, though. That's the tough part as the GOTA coach, is getting them to be subconsciously GOTA and getting them to believe what you're saying and then getting them enough reps to where it will actually sink in. And they will be that person standing in line with their feet straight, inside ankle bones high, in the back chain. <clears throat> Yeah, for sure, a hundred percent. And I think, um, I think one of the cool things about um, the cues that you guys use and, and thinking and focusing on the foot, it's like you said, you're 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 working on the subconscious, and you're trying to get that person to do these things naturally. Um, mm-hmm. Bruce Lee had a quote. I'll butcher it if I say it, but it was basically something along the lines of effortlessness is how you um, create power and, and generate movement and stuff. And um, 100%. and you can't do something effortlessly if you're thinking about it. Um, right. it, it has to be pretty natural. Um, and I think that's really important. And I think, again, this comes back to cueing. And I see this with a lot of coaches, um, especially with like Olympic weightlifting. It's just horrendous. They'll, you got to, your hip needs to be here and your knee needs to be here and your shoulders here and your head here and your eyes. And you give, you, you just shove all this stuff at this person. And they can't possibly think about all that at once. And even no even no trying way. to, you're not going to get even one of them right. But the beautiful no. thing, the beautiful thing about the foot is it fixes so many things up the line automatically that you only right. have to think about the one thing and you fixed five, six, seven, eight, a dozen problems. Um, that's that's so yeah. And I think that's super important because then you fix the feet, you fix all these other problems. Because you got to keep going, right? Even if it's not perfect, you can't stop. Now, granted, a lot of Olympic weightlifters will. They'll play around a PVC pipe for 10 years. But um, right. a real athlete's not going to do that. You're not going to go out and play football and, well, let's just walk through this for the next three years, and then I'll run in three years, yeah. right? Like you, yeah. you have to go do it. You, do, you just have to. So you have to fix as many problems at, at a time you know, without overloading the person and send them out there where they can safely do it and then start fixing problems as you go. And, yes. um, and I think that that is one of the best things about the system that you guys have developed in the cues because the foot's going to fix so many problems from there. It's easy almost. Right. I mean, it's uh, yes. it, it obviously, you know, client to client, but it's going to be pretty easy from that point forward because you've already fixed the foundation. Yeah. I mean, you've, you, half the time what I'm harping on with a kid is really just his foot and you know the one thing I, I always laugh because I, I love to play golf and I would remember I'd be golfing I'd be sucking it up I'm terrible and you got six dudes behind you trying to tell you something to think about and I'm like guys it's too late when I'm over the ball with the club in my hand it's over there's no time to fix anything I am who I am at that moment it was the same problem I faced at quarterback I'm holding the ball. It's like, well, it's too late now. I am this person. I'm going to show who I really am when I have to go full speed. 
It's so it's like you've got to have a training model that's going to be able to affect the playing model, right? The 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 free flowing version of you, just like you said with Bruce Lee. I mean, Bruce Lee's that main quote was "Be like water," right? You want to move effortlessly. Well, shit! How do I get to be able to move effortlessly, right? That's the that's the, the you know, everybody says that quote. It's you see it everywhere. It's on T-shirts. It sounds cool as shit. And then you get to the point of okay, so what do I do to move like Bruce, right? I mean, you go buy a Bruce Lee book. He's got a gazillion different exercises in there. You don't really know where to start. No, start. Right. Finding that point where the way that you train is going to show up in your fluidity concepts is a number one to me. Because I, I come across a lot of golfers, I come across a lot of quarterbacks, and that'd be like technique world, you know, 101. Like they're talking, you know, when you're talking about throwing, you're talking about some serious need for fluidity, serious range of motion on the table, um, very high intelligence, and then being able to survey the environment and throw a spear right past a linebacker's head over a safety right into the arms of somebody when you're getting, you know, people breathing down your neck, you better, it's, it's too late to worry about what your feet are doing. You better have trained them the right way and you better have a training system that reflects it. We, we use a pyramid where it's like the, the base is the groundwork. Then we're moving you up to supporting standing work on those boards. Then we'll try to get you free from the, from the, from the support, keep you on the boards. Then we're moving you to fluidity. The, the, the reality of it is the, the practicality of it usually you're taking an athlete all over that pyramid they're all, they're going all right. over it they're working the groundwork but they're also working fluidity they're working the support and they're doing it all in most likely one session so every session is has some sort of reflection um of the whole go to system especially when you're dealing with an athlete now if my dad comes to me or my uncle or somebody who doesn't have to compete tomorrow they got nothing on the table they got nothing on the line well then we can go real slow and we can just work the groundwork we can take it piece by piece put you back together because usually if that client comes in they just want to be pain free if a 50 50 to 60 year old comes to me i know they're hurting and so what they need first and foremost is just the basics right which is always going to get back to the foot anyways yeah um but a high level athlete 100%. You can't just expect a high-level athlete to take two years off to work on their body. It's not going to happen. So you better have some clean cues, and you better have some clean concepts that can quickly be interjected into their training model. Yeah, 100%. Um, Yeah, and I think it's important that you said, you know, you're going to train, um, you know, some 60-year-old person that's that's hurting different than um, an NFL player. Um, I think one of the cool things about uh, CrossFit was that they kind of um, say, like, you know, this is how pro athletes train, so we scale it for everybody. And I think that's really cool, right? I think, and I do that um, frequently. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take somebody that's 50 and turn them into a strong man or a strong woman, and, and you know, and it works. Right. Um, but not every 50 year old, you know. It depends yeah, it depends on what they want. Yeah, and I think that's one of the downsides of. Um, of uh, CrossFit is, uh, you know, you, you take this 50-year-old person or 60, whatever, they go into the gym. Um, there's not much individualization there. Um, they kind of use that, uh, well, you're, you're 60 and you're here, so we're going to do this and we're going to scale it for you. And I think um, some sometimes that doesn't always work. <laughs> 
No, it doesn't. And that's, that, that's, it's scary, but that is the truth. What you're saying is, um, you can't just throw anybody into every single style of working out. It does not work. You have to respect that people are hurting. You have to respect that we're way off our game by being in modern lifestyle. Like you, when I finally realized it clicked in my head, I'm like, oh, we're hunter gatherers. That's what the problem is. Right. Like we're designed to be a wild barefoot sitting on the ground 20 plus miles a day. And then I think about what I'm doing now. You wake up at seven, you go down, get a bowl of corn pops and coffee. Like you are so far from what you're built to do. You're in cushioned, comforted land. We have no idea how intense and how strong our human body is, but we got to realize that we're broken and move us back towards the healthy side. But we have to pay homage first and foremost. Some people are going to be broken and some people have different goals. And so a system has to be in place that can identify your goals, but then can also identify your weaknesses so that you don't waste your time. Yeah. You know, in this in this day and age, people are moving. People got things to do. People got places to go. You don't waste their time with stuff that they don't need. Right. You know, the the quarterback that <clears throat> called me different than the old lineman that calls me. I'm going to talk to the old lineman differently than I'm going to talk to the quarterback. And there's a reason for that. It's because they have different goals. It's because they have a different view of what it is they need. They've got a different history of injuries, different, you know, timeline, depending on who they are and what they're doing. Maybe they're in a, you know, situation where they're going into the draft. Maybe they're trying to fight to get on to the second team. I don't know, but I got to find that out. And the more answers I have there, that's when you start to build a program that works for each client because you're doing things that they truly want. Because once again, like I said before, they're outsourcing to you consultation right they're asking you for kinesthetic awareness they're asking you for your eight years of reading books in the house in your underwear trying to figure it out sticking red dots to the wall trying to tie it all together you're there to condense it you're trying to condense the eight years to 30 minutes and give them the quick cues and the quick understandings like hey i spent eight years out the foot guess what get to the outside edge don't go do the don't go do the research on your own i spent all the time doing it here's what you need to know yeah, I think it uh, again. It goes back to some of the stuff you guys are, are showing and teaching, um, you know, at, at your facility on Instagram and all that. Um, the foot is important for everything, so it doesn't matter. I mean, unless even even something like rowing, right? Like on the water, like your foot's important. I mean, th- there's pretty much maybe one percent of athletics where your foot's not going to be used, and um, th- there's no way you're going to waste any time working on that. Right. Like that is a that is yeah, a key exactly. thing that like you could take everybody and maybe you, you don't do the exact same with them, but you can take every single person and say, Hey, we're gonna do um, we're gonna teach you the outside edge of the foot, we're gonna do this and that and fix that, and that's gonna fix a lot of problems. And then like I said earlier, because it's such a simple cue and it fixes so many problems, you're not overloading the person, so you're not wasting time there. Um because I, I right. up uh, Olympic weightlifting again. I see this all the time. They'll just be barking cues at the kids and um, and like 15 different things at once. And this kid has no clue what's going on. And, and it actually wastes so many sessions because 
they can't get any of it right because they're trying to do 15 things at once. And by the time one clicks, you're six or seven sessions down the road. Whereas if you just said, you know, keep your butt lower or whatever, you know, and you just said one thing, they could have fixed that one thing. And then the next session. And yes, I think that's important. You're you're right. Wasting time. I know I I didn't think about it really until you, until you brought it up, but yeah, you're, people are just wasting, um, wasting time and and i'm not saying you know like wasting time so far as like you know you did this for two years and you wasted all your time what i'm i'm just saying you could have done it faster even if it was yeah even if it was two months faster right i mean if you're talking 24 months versus 22 months hey that's still two months and um if if you're at the top of a sport that's basically that could be your career or not two months i mean you could 100 blow an opportunity or, or or miss a tryout or whatever the case is if you could have got somewhere two months earlier even two days at that point um yes <clears throat> that, that's, that's a huge deal i think time is very important <clears throat> yeah i mean you you gotta you gotta identify what it is you're looking for i think that some people don't even know what it is they're looking for i think some people feel pressure maybe from the you know society or pressure from the outside pressure from i know i need to get, i need to be doing something what is it that i should be doing well what's popular oh okay crossfit's popular i guess i'll go do that i don't really know anything and they enter into something that maybe wasn't really for them um and they end up going south because of it and it starts to hurt them or it takes away from what they really wanted i mean Back to the Olympic lifting, I remember in 2014, I believe it was, maybe 13, I was helping out at a high school down in Florida, and we were doing the whole Olympic lifting thing. And I remember that at that point, I don't know, I didn't know what I I know now, but I was like, man, we are putting so much effort into getting these kids to learn how to Olympic lift, and none of it's working. Everybody looks awkward. They look like newborn baby deer. They look crazy. Everybody's feet are all over the place. They're collapsing. I'm like, is this really worth it? And that was kind of one of the earlier moments where I was like, what's going on here with Olympic lifting? And I didn't know anything I knew about GOTA. I was starting to look into movement, had been looking into movement. Um, But that was probably at that time where I was into Supple Leopard. And I thought that moving a bar fast was what I needed. Um, And then the more I studied biomechanics, I was like, oh, I guess it's not really productive for a heels-up athlete. It's not productive for an athlete that needs to move forward through space. And those athletes are really what most of sports is. I mean, name a sport, guarantee you it's probably a heels-up forward locomotive sport outside of high jump, outside of rowing, outside of tug of war, um, outside of backpedaling. You're talking about a very um, tight niche of, of a small corner of the sports world that's going to really use reverse movement at a high level. Um, and Olympic lifting is reverse movement. It's, it's the high jump. That's kind of what I, I said in a couple of my videos. I'm like, look, I thought Olympic lifting was the real deal. It turns out as I learn more about biomechanics or the new biomechanics, the, as, as we've seen it play out in front of us in slow motion, Olympic lifting's backwards movement. So that's going to teach my body to drive in to out while I'm in my squat 
And we see the squat as the landing. So the way that you squat is going to show up in the way that you run. And so if I'm in my squat stance, in my squat phase of the cycle, and I'm teaching my brain, hey, drive in to out, and then I'm going to move this weight up and back, move this weight up and back, move. Well, then the athlete leaves the, sta- the, 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 the uh, board, they walk away, and they start to use that in to out strategy, which is the opposite of what we talked about earlier, which is the out to in strategy to move themselves forward. Now that athlete goes to the field, they go to cut, they go to use the inside, and then the uh, and then when they go to use the inside, boom, that's when catastrophe strikes. So we've received blowback from saying what we've said about Olympic lifting, but we stand firm because we're standing firm behind slow motion evidence. We're just saying, look, guys, here's what we saw in slow motion. It is reverse movement. It is using the big toe to kind of dig into the ground and flip the heels in when forward locomotion is using the outside edge to sort of dig in surf energy around and then flick the heels out to move forward and that's what you want to install in your forward locomotive heels up athlete now if i have an olympic lifter come to me and say well what can i do well i would say i would use gota differently with an olympic lifter than i would use it with a junior in high school that wants to be an all-state quarterback or an all-state db it's not that's when gota can be looked at as more of a cleansing program where i would say hey listen man Olympic lifting, if you're getting paid and it's what you do and you love it, but here's what you need to know. If you take this in-to-out strategy with you, when you go to walk away from here and you go put thousands of reps on your legs, on your wheels, every single day with that in-to-out strategy, that using the big toe to pressurize the ground strategy, you're going to eventually need a new knee or a new hip because you are outside of your security You're now flirting with inside ankle bone low. You're flirting with inside edge. And the whole stream of joint segments up from the foot and ankle are now at jeopardy. And so the way I would program for an Olympic lifter, if they did come to me, would be way different than the way I would train my high school athlete who's a football player. Because that high school athlete who's a football player, the fact is we got a lot of new equipment in the world coming out. Landmines are great. Um, sleds are great. Uh, the Henny press is great. There's a lot of options to create explosive power without doing Olympic lifts. So if I, if I only got a kid for an hour and 15 minutes, why would I spend all the time teaching an Olympic lift just to have to cleanse his brain of the reverse movement in another hour session? Why not just use the landmine, create force going forward, Keep the principles of locomotion and the principles of the security structure clean and pristine. And that way, that athlete's brain is going to work better. Their nervous system is going to work better when they're on the field. They're going to be able to free up their mind from any sort of aches and pains that would be happening from the training. Because the way I train a high school athlete, he better not be getting hurt in my training. He needs to go play a contact sport. So these these guys should be moving in a way that makes them feel like a big cat. I want my kids to walk around the field with swagger. I want them to be like just dripping swag, complete fluid athletes. They feel cocky. They feel arrogant. They know they can do what they want with their with their body, with their skill set. But the way I do that is by perfecting movement. And you perfect movement by paying homage to the design that Mother Nature put out there. You pay homage to the cycle of movement, to the pressure wave technology. I'm not going to do anything that's going to take away from that 
when I only have a kid for an hour and 15 minutes, three days a week, maybe. Yeah, for sure. And I have a, a probably a pretty unpopular opinion with uh, when it comes to Olympic weightlifting myself. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of time wasted doing that stuff. I think I've run into the same situation that you have where you go and you're trying to teach us stuff and you're like, Jesus, like this is going to take six months for this person to learn how to do this. And, and we could right. do, we could just do box jumps or something, you know? And, uh, right. And, um, I, I have come up with some ways around that. I, you know, I've broken it down. I think like, why, why is a football player doing the catch portion of a clean? I don't think that, that learning how to rack the weight on your chest and throw your elbows up really does much for a football player. I think high pulls are a better yeah, option. Yeah, the high pulls are a better option, or or even just snatching it, and, and the power versions seem to be better. And there's a lot of there's a lot of better ways to do it. I think people want to actually take a football player. It, this happens probably the most with football. I mean, it trickles down, especially in college, because yes. the football is king at the Football's college. Football's the worst. But yes, if they want to make them actual Olympic weightlifters instead of um, instead of saying, "Hey, let's take what's useful from this." And discard what's not, you know, another Bruce Lee thing. Um, but they just want to yeah. say, here, you're going to play football and play Olympic weightlifting, which I think is yeah. idiotic. Yeah, saying you know, it's two like, sports. Obviously, I'm very strongman biased, but I don't take a football player and turn them into a strongman and then go, hey, go play football. There's there's a difference. Um, yeah, I think that, that that's that's a, a huge thing. They're, they're wasting a lot of time there. And a lot of people... Um, especially in football, uh, in colleges, I think, um, th- you know, that's kind of the stuff I've seen the most of or colleges is, uh, you get football coaches teaching weightlifting to football players, but the football coach never learned weightlifting from an actual weightlifter. They don't understand it. They never competed in it. Um, they were probably doing it incorrectly. Um, they don't understand what's going on. They don't understand that it's backwards movement. I do. I trained yeah. with um, Don McCauley. I personally trained with him. Um, I've talked to these people, and it is it is like what you said. It is very backwards movement, and um, and they don't understand that, and they they don't understand. Um, well, they don't even teach it right. Most of these people are teaching this triple extension and this forward movement with it, and they try to make Olympic weightlifting more applicable to the sport by doing the triple extension stuff, but it just doesn't work. It just it just doesn't work. Um, and this is probably where we would disagree. I would think that if you did it the Don McCauley way with the catapult, um, you would become more explosive, and that is applicable to sports. But I think the caveat would be you do see a lot of Olympic weightlifters collapsing to the inside of the foot and going in to out, like you said. But I think that's just poor coaching i think if you when i talked when i learned from don mccauley he specifically said to be on the outsides of your feet i think if you get an actual weightlifting coach an actual mm-hmm. person that's probably and i'm talking high level high level right um i think they're saying the same thing about the feet i honestly do i think that they're saying be on the outsides of the feet i but again a lot of people don't think about the feet so a lot of this isn't coming from the Olympic weightlifting community saying, Hey, you should push through the inside. It's a lack of knowledge. It's a lack of understanding, but a lot of them do say to push on the outside. I think that that might be something to, um, to look at. Um, and because 
Don McCauley was honestly one of the first people that I worked with that um, really said that about squatting and was talking about the edge of the feet and the ridge of the feet and being on the yeah. outside. And um, yeah, as I think a lot of that just comes from really poor uh, understanding and poor learning and just a trickle down of, hey, I don't understand it, but I'm going to teach you. And now you don't, you understand it less and I'm going to teach you. And it, especially in football, it just... There's a whole you could a whole lineage of misunderstanding down to the coach that you have today a lot of the time, um, but you're right. Most people are wasting a lot of time trying to make people weightlifters, trying to learn all these different components of it, and then they have a lack of understanding of the feet, and it turns into this giant nightmare. Yeah, yeah. We had a guy. I was at a coach's clinic, and um, I'm totally blanking his name right now, but he's a young cat. He had spent a lot of time. Overseas in the Eastern Bloc countries, learning Olympic lifting from the best, Egypt. You know these countries that are high level Olympic lifters at the at, at the uh, you know at the games. And he even said he's like, we barely, barely ever do the full Olympic lift. Mm-hmm. He's like, but when I come over here to the to the to the West, you guys only do right. the full Olympic. Right. He's like, most of what we do in Olympic lifting is getting ready for that one lift at full capacity. But you come into a weight room, you got some eighth grader named Timmy who's been sitting on his phone all day. He's got duck feet and he's front chain dominant. You throw him underneath a bar and you tell him to do a hand clean, I promise you he's going to throw his feet outside his hips. He's going to collapse in on himself because that kid has not enough time to, first and foremost, Olympic lifting its own sport, but not enough time to even dive into the very, very basics of Olympic lifting. Right. Olympic lifting is a high-level sport. It's its own thing. It's its own world, its yep. own industry. It's amazing feat of strength. It's remarkable what they do with the bar. What we're saying, though, is that that technology, that type of training, does not translate to forward locomotives, and the problem is it's being used as the sole way of training young athletes for forward locomotive sports. It's being used as their main way of creating explosive power. Because like you said, triple flexion, triple extension, I would say those those ideas are also a part of the problem because they come from a side view assessment. So that's all 2D language, right? So triple flexion, triple extension gives you this piston-type idea of movement. What we're saying is, no, dude, it's pivot point technology. Like, you think you might be holding straight lines. You think you might be holding neutral. But what you're really doing is you're not allowing the outside edge to be the pivot point. And so guess what edge you're going to use? You're going to use the inside edge because now... You're teaching core brace when you run. You're teaching arm swing. You're teaching neutral knee. You're teaching tripod foot. All those things are set up for 2D information or a linear piston type energy where you you fight and you go up. What really is happening to us is it's this actual, it's almost like a dance with the line of motion where you're going to surf to the outside, come back around, release, take that energy that you release, catch it on the other side, load it up. Bring it back around the corner, release, catch it. It's you're you're playing volleyball with the pressure wave, and 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 the net is sort of the spine, and then the columns are the players, or the sides of the body are the players, and you're just going back and forth, and the spine's just traveling inside, going back and forth to those columns, loading up with the shoulder and, and the hip and the ankle, and it's just creating these nice pressure waves. If you get into a room, if you get into a weight room, and you're teaching the body to work in lines, 
it's going to try to because the brain is a servant to the environment. So it's going to try to do what you tell it to do. But it's going to eventually, when it goes to run, it's just going to use a pivot point because that's right. how it moves forward. It pivot point. <clears throat> right. It creates torque, rotational force. But now your pivot point is going to be the big toe. And once you do that, foot and ankles in jeopardy, knees in jeopardy, hips in jeopardy, low backs in jeopardy. And the reason that people will say to me, well, there's not a bunch of ACLs at the Olympic lifters. I'm like, they don't run. <laughs> they don't play a season. They're yeah. not They're not in the NBA. Yeah, that's you take an NBA player and you make them do that and they got to put all those miles and all those cuts. You take an NFL athlete, you know how many miles these dudes put on their wheels? And you make them change the pivot point? Yeah. You better believe there's going to be a bunch of ACLs and a bunch of Achilles because you now you've moved that athlete out of the security structure. What we're saying is level up their security structure. Get their inside ankle bones high. Think of like uh, who's a good Darren Sproles is a great example of this. He was super durable. Um, Barry Sanders, Randy Moss, Dion, Ed Reed was like the goat of it. Those inside ankle bones were Ed Reed would hit the ground. His inside ankle bone almost went higher. He never dropped that inside ankle bone. And he moved the energy in a way that kept him safe and fluid and explosive. I don't want to get hit by Ed Reed. I know that much. And he moves like a goda. So and we just did a, we put a video up on Instagram today. We got a 300-pounder down in Louisiana that Gary trains. He's an old lineman. This guy moves like he moves better than some wide receivers that I see. So teaching the body to do what it's designed to do, I mean, that's common sense, but Teaching it to do what it's not designed to do is where the catastrophe can set in for a certain athlete, right? Or like I said, if I had an Olympic lifter come to me, I'd be like, dude, here's the here's the problems with Olympic lifting, and here's how a GOTA can help you stay durable so that you don't need a new hip or a new knee when you're 60. Because the facts are the connective tissue and joint segments are designed for 110 years. They're being replaced at 50 to 60 years approximately in the human population. That means that you're literally cutting the life expectancy of your connective tissue and joint segments in half. I mean, if someone told you, hey, take this drug, do this, it'll cut your life in half. You'd be like, get up. I ain't touching that shit. Get away from me. Well, what I'm telling you is that certain things are cutting your connective tissue and your joint segments in half. You're cutting the life expectancy in half, and people don't even know they're doing it. So sometimes we come off as confrontational to GOTA, but you also have to remember, we're looking at slow motion all day of all the injuries happening, and then all the fluid athletes that are moving, and when you see both sides of it, you're like, oh my God, I've got to tell somebody. Someone needs to hear this today. <laughs> I don't know who it is, but somebody's got to hear it because people are hurting, you know? People are hurting. Yeah, I there's a couple of good good points in in that that I wanted to bring up. I think um, one was uh, I think it's uh, man I'm blanking on his name. It's the barbell medicine guy from uh, Starting Strength, Jordan something. Um, but he actually just released a video not too long ago on Instagram um, about uh, poor body mechanics, movement, whatever, and injuries. And he's like, uh, mm-hmm. you can do something poorly for a very long time and never get injured. The body's very resilient, and um, yeah. And, and one of the cool things is like you could literally go do the wrong thing, right? And you're training the wrong thing, so the wrong thing will get stronger, so it will actually become more resilient to injury because you've trained it. But that doesn't mean that it's better. 
Because the if you did it the right yeah. way, you'd be even less likely to get injured, right? So you have to keep all that in mind. Right. So when you when people say like, well, I, you know, the Olympic weightlifters they never blow, blow their ACL out. Well, you're right; they're not running, right? And what's the what's the most amount of weight that you might have on your knee in Olympic weightlifting? I think the the all time world record clean and jerk was five eighty five, I think, or five eighty six. It was in kilos, so somewhere around there. But what's the amount of pressure when you're running on your knee? It's something like three to five times, I think, your body weight. That's a great point. So if, uh, I'm not sure, what do you weigh? Um, Shoot, I'm probably right around 200. I'm I'm light. So three to five times, let's let's take the top end, because you played in the NFL, you got a lot of force production. That's 1,000 pounds. That's That's almost double the best Olympic lift. And it's the, the best Olympic lift was done. Um, it, 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 let's let's even take the full meet, right? So yeah, you, you would have done three attempts in the clean and jerk, um, right? So, so he, I don't know what his attempts were. I would guess I'd say maybe five forty five, five sixty five, five eighty five would have been you know. So that's three three hits on the knee, and that's three hits on both knees at once. Because he's not landing right. one legged. <laughs> At least I hope he wasn't landing right. one. Um, you in the NFL, that's a thousand pounds on one knee at any given time. Uh, I don't even. I couldn't even tell you how many times during a game. I mean, exactly. I, I don't know. You're how proving many, a very. Yeah, I mean, how many times? Uh, a thousand. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Dude. The average. Yeah. The average play is 15 seconds. Uh, you imagine, I don't know, like, I'm just guessing, 10 strikes per play. How many, right, play, right, how many right. plays? You drive the math and it'd be alarming. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be millions of pounds of, uh, at least hundreds of thousands of pounds of pressure on the knee. Well, that's why that's why you're not blowing a knee in um, Olympic weightlifting, even if you do it yeah. wrong. Because you, you do 100%. it wrong, you're training it to get stronger, but the load isn't all that much comparatively. Right. Um, right. I think people people just don't, they fail to, to see this. And then even the footwear is different. The footwear is designed for that, to help that. Just like football shoes or, or lack of shoes or whatever. There's all these different things you can do to to cover up those inadequacies or, or to mask them and do all this stuff that you're not really aware of. Yeah. You're, you're probably never going to blow an ACL, um, in the weight room. Uh, it's, it's always going to be, if it is in the weight room, it's because you were doing cone drills or jumping hurdles or yeah, it wasn't, you remove your, yeah, Yeah. it, it wasn't a lift. Most, most likely it wasn't a lift. Um, you know, the exception might be if you were at a powerlifting meet doing a squat. I guess there probably is a certain risk there, but other than that, you're not going to blow an ACL doing a, a lifting sport. Um, uh, strongman maybe because you're moving. If you're running with a three, uh, you know, an 800 pound yoke, you might blow an ACL out. You might, but, uh, yeah. There's some risk there for sure. But but Olympic weightlifting, it's you're not going to. It's not going to happen. But that doesn't mean that there's not risks associated with doing that and then going out and doing something else. And that doesn't mean there's not um, bad movement patterns being taught. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything really. I mean, that's just a, that's a very poor argument. It doesn't mean anything. You're right. (laughs) It's a very poor argument. Um, Yeah. uh, We're about out of time, but I did want to bring up one other thing. Uh, Head over foot movement. What are your thoughts on head over foot? 
and, and I have a few uh, commentaries on that. Oh, yeah. I mean, head over foot's crucial, you know? And so, at Gona, we call it head control, foot control, right? So, when I, I want my head to enter into the landing column. So, we kind of use it as an assessor. Like, I'm looking at slow motion. I want to see your head move into the column. It speaks to also what's going on below the head and neck in the thoracic and lumbar region, region more specifically the lumbar, um, because... We have, you know, so back chain dominance is that lordosis in your spine. It's right. It's it's your butts behind your rib cage. It's that nice preserved low back curve. When you couple motion, because the spine's technology is coupled motion. When you side bend, you get the rotation, right? Like this was, you know, wet calls of the coiling core. We call it the traveling core. It's really coupled motion technology. So when a spine bends to the right. Well, of course, my head's going to move with it. So when I land on my right column, I want my head over my right foot near that pivot point, near that edge, and then I'm going to take it, I'm going to move it around the corner, and then we're going to see the head travel from column to column. So we call it head control, foot control, foot control being, you know, get your weight on the fourth and fifth, use the corner of the foot, get your inside ankle bone high, um, and then when you get the head control on top, usually... All the other engines, being the shoulder, spine, um, hip, and ankle, are in a in a alignment that's going to create the pressure wave, or that's going to load up tissue. So head over foot's crucial. It's a big. It's one of the big indicators that we're looking for. If your head is inside your foot, what that means is that you got a locked up spine, and you probably got a locked up ankle, and you're probably in. You're, you're using the inside edge. You're, you're going to get your head over your pivot point, if that makes sense. So some people will get their head like near their big toe. I'm like, yeah, that person's using the inside of the foot. They're using the big toe bar to, to move the pressure wave. And it just, it's the, the joint segments, like I've been saying, they're now susceptible. So head over foot's crucial. Um, yeah, I, I think that it is. Um, it, this is one of those things I think uh, a lot of um, natural athletes do things right just naturally and um and um and this was the prime example of when i started looking at how people move um i trained a boxer and um she did really well uh but one of the things that we did was head over foot movement when punching and and moving and um yeah but this was way before this is years ago um we called it nose over toes. We didn't know that this was like a thing. And I didn't realize that even at the time I didn't fully understand it. It wasn't until I saw you guys and WEC and I'm like, wait a minute, like this is way more in depth than what I was doing. (laughs) Like, this is really cool. But you were doing my track. Yeah. I I, I like, I barely brushed the edge of it, but I was there and you know, nose over toes. And it it made, it made so much, uh, so much sense. And I think it's super important for any kind of, um, movement and after seeing you guys and, and and realizing just how important it is it really started making me think like how easy it is to understand this concept but people people are adamantly opposed to it people think that you have to keep this um and whack harps about it all the time that you know people want to stay dead center with no no core movement and it's anti-rotational stuff when people are, are running and jumping and moving but it doesn't it literally doesn't make any sense if you take somebody and you have them stand and then you have them stand on one foot and and they try to I know you're going and they try to keep their head in the center you can't do insane. it you can't do it 
And yeah. I, I, know, I know you guys yeah. don't like pistol squats, but a pistol squat's another example. You cannot pistol squat with your head in the center. <laughs> no. You have to shift no. over and be over the leg and over the foot. Now, you may collapse in and your knee might go in, but your head's still going to be yeah. over your foot, right? I mean, yes. there may be some poor mechanics going on, but you're, you know, it's, and if, if we know for a fact that force production is the number one key to how fast you can move, how high you can jump, right? If you can't stand on one foot that way, you sure as hell can't put any force through it. If you can't, right. if you can't squat down on one leg with your head in the center and come back up because you're, you're just going to fall over, you can't produce any force there. It's obvious, right? Now, yeah. You know, what, what I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the pistol squat either, but I think it's a that would be a decent test, right? So, if you can't do that as a test and do it that way with your head in the middle, why would you ever think it was a good idea to have somebody run that way? It just it, it makes yeah, no it's just, sense. Right. It makes no sense. It's um it's one of those things where it's like we've been so entrenched and we've been we've been fed this idea of neutral, this idea of straight lines. It's been the it's been the narrative. It's been the it's been what's been alarmingly the over, you know, populated opinion where it's like this is what we do. But nobody ever asked Dude, what, what what happens in slow motion. And then even when they did look at slow motion, they were looking at the side view. The side view is not going to give you head over foot information. It's just not. Front and back will give you head over foot information. And if you, like Michael Johnson, you know, Olympic medalist, world, yeah. he's somebody that teaches head in the middle. And I've got video of him, and he's a goda. He's moving pressure waves. His head's over his foot. He's got the shoulder, the spine, the hip moving outside the cow, and then boom, they're coming back. So the guys that are even teaching it, they don't even know what it is that they're saying. It's just one of these things that they've been told this yep. over and over again. And if they don't have another answer, it kind of speaks to what's been going on with fascia lately in the study of fascia is that for years they used to, they used to just cut the fascia out. They discarded it and nobody ever cared what it did because the doctors didn't know what to tell you. Right. So they kind of just pretend like it wasn't important because they didn't want to sound stupid. But then once people started to research it, they're like, oh, shit, this stuff's super important. It's like this elastic rubber band tissue that just kaboom, like propels you out of this pressure wave loading system. And so now it becomes the coolest thing ever. There's freaking books on fascia till the cows come home. You'll never read them all. So it's a case of, for whatever reason, as humans, we become cognitively entrenched. We want to, uh, you know, appease the masses, which I loved your, your, like on your page, like unpopular opinion here. Like, yeah. Hey man, this is a hot take. Like, because it needs to be said. And that's, what's great about Instagram. That's, what's great about these conversations is that we don't have to sit here and just listen to what academia tells us. We don't have to do that anymore. Right. We don't have to sit here and just take the institution's word for it. I have an iPad. I have an iPhone. I can go scrape video from many different platforms and look at it in slow motion. And I can start to build the context for what's happening in human movement with my own eye, my own sort of evidence. And I can start to look in different directions. I mean, I was talking to a high-level chiropractor who developed a very well-respected system that you would see on Instagram. And I asked him about the spinal engine. This is a chiropractor. I said, what do you think about the spinal engine? He goes, what about it? He had never heard of it. 
He didn't even know what it was. So there, there are books that are full of beautiful knowledge. Two of my favorites, Spinal Engine and then Muscles and Meridians by Philip Beach. Those books aren't even being, they're not being taught to the exercise science majors. They're not being taught to the, to the CSCS or any of the, those are just books that if you so happen to stumble on a deep dive, you may come across them. But those books are actually speaking the truth. Those books are actually what's happening in slow motion. Yeah. Like that was what Gilly was like, dude, cut the bullshit. Let's put on the tape. You, I want to see what Michael Jordan's doing because Michael Jordan ain't doing the shit that y'all are saying that we should be doing. Michael Jordan ain't keeping his head inside. Michael Jordan ain't on the inside edge of his foot. Michael Jordan is moving his spine. He's setting a pressure wave. He's closing it. He's releasing it. His heel flips out. So if he's doing it, the tribes are doing it. All the other decade-plus freak athletes are doing it. The old people are doing it. And then it's the same pattern that I see in the crawling baby. And then you can even look at the embryological development and the way body is biased towards a internally rotated lower limb and an externally rotated upper limb. And that inside ankle bone tucks high. Just think of a baby's feet when they come out. Think of the fetal position. It's this nice tucked foot. That same structure, you should never lose that security structure. In fact, you should overlay and sort of layer in motor skill and fluidity concepts into an already intact, very well-developed security structure from the get. But when you get outside the security structure, because the brain's a servant, because it will listen to whatever you tell it to do in the environment you put it in, if you're in a world that's teaching things outside of the security structure, your brain's like, all right, let's do it. This is what you want. And then you start to do it. And then you start to take it to your forward locomotive pattern. And like you said, it's almost like I use the analogy like string cheese. It's a slow drip that's going to kill you. Yeah. You're not going to blow your knee out doing the hand clean. But the pattern that the hand clean taught you that you take to your forward locomotive strategy that's going to kill you. And it's going to take a long time. And it's going to be one day out of nowhere. I see it with my dad's friends all the time. It's going to be one day. You're about 50, 55, 58. Boom. Your knee hurts. Your hip hurts. You don't know why. You go into a doctor and he's like, dude, your capsule is shit. You are completely degenerated in that capsule. We need to put a new one on. And you're like, whoa, what happened? Well, the body's resilient. That's what happened. The yep. body's resilient. The brain's a servant. There's a lot of factors at play. And it took a long time for Billy to see all this. But the fact is that now we don't have to sit around and listen to somebody in an ivory tower tell me about, well, where's your research? I can say, look at the slow motion. And then there is research that shows you that certain things are going to hurt you. I just looked at a, a research article last night. They studied 800 people over six years. It was all Olympic lifting. 65% of them were injured. That was just the training. <laughs> that wasn't even the, the, the coupled in, like, does this guy play sports? Like, do you understand the rigors of the NFL, the NBA? Just travel baseball for a high school kid. Like, all the miles that are going on the feet and all the miles that are being put on the wheels in the, in the system – that's why bodies are breaking down. It's not that the lift itself is hurting you. It's what it's doing to the pattern that's hurting you over time. And that's why it's so hard to point the finger at anything. And that's why we don't put blame on Olympic lifting or we don't put blame on core bracing techniques because they just haven't had enough time to be exposed. But right now, 
it's starting to get exposed. More and more coaches are walking away from Olympic lifting, and they're saying, dude, this landmine's a pretty cool tool. If I had O-linemen and D-linemen, they'd be on the sleds all day. They'd be doing what they do, pushing things, right? They'd be in a heels-up, forward locomotive state. They'd be learning how to drive force forward, right? And so... Luckily, the landscape's changing. Things like Instagram, things like these podcasts are allowed, allowing us to do that, which makes it exciting. But there's still a long way to go. I mean, there really is. You're right. Like, the cognitive entrenchment's a real thing. Oh, yeah. And just people parroting things. Just, uh, you know, well, my coach yeah. did this, I, you know. <clears throat> um, there was two really cool things I wanted to um, touch on there. You talked about, um, you know, people looking from the side and two-dimensional. Now, <laughs> I've noticed this for a while. Um, when I went through uh, college and, and I have a million personal training certifications and I go to these things and they would always say to stand in front of your athlete off to the side when you watch what they're doing. That way you can see um, everything that they're doing, right? Actually, they, they, would, mm-hmm. say, they would say it backwards. They, they would say um, to have your people stand that way and watch you so they can see everything. So yeah. if I'm squatting, they would have you stand off to the side and out to the front so that the person watching can see everything, right? Right. But then when they would watch you, they would never do that. It would be straight <laughs> off to the front or off to the side. They would never right. stand where they told you that you could get the best view. And I always the best that, point. I always find that odd. And you can watch, <clears throat> you can go on uh, Instagram or YouTube or whatever, or go to a meet, whatever you, whatever it is, and you'll see the same thing. The coaches will be standing either directly in front or off to the side. And I always found that odd because, it, again, it's like everybody knows that those are the two worst vantage points, right? Right. <laughs> but they still go there. It just, they still, you know, in athletics. It's not a hat. My routine. <laughs> yeah, in, in athletics, there's just so many obvious things that, and people will say they'll say these things, and they'll tell you, and then they'll go uh, and, and and do the. Uh, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but a really good story is when I was training this boxer. We went to um, we went to Italy, and they had a tryout for the uh, Italian boxing team, and we went to this gym for a sparring session that week. And the first thing you saw when you went into the gym. He walked up these stairs. There's a giant poster of Mike Tyson on the wall. And then we went and they sparred. And one of the pieces of advice they gave to my boxer was, you shouldn't be so aggressive. Uh, uh, you're, you're not Mike Tyson. Well, why do you have a poster of the guy on the wall if you don't want anybody to act that way? Yeah. <laughs> like, but but that's, athletic, of- that's athletics in a nutshell right there. Like, I learned it, that. It's so true. <laughs> like, well, so wait true. a minute. <laughs> you got the guy on the wall, but you don't want anybody to act that way. Like, it, it just blew my mind. And I think that that's, that's how a lot of athletics are. People will say something and, you know, they, they don't have a system. Like, you guys have a system. And they just try to grab right. things and make this, this weird thing that's not really a system it's just a bunch of random stuff and there's contradictions occur when that happens when you have a real system there at least a good system there shouldn't be um any contradictions and if there are there are exceptions and there's a reason why and i think a lot of people yeah yeah, people just fail to do that and the the other thing i wanted to point out was uh was uh johnson with the running and and he he runs correctly and everybody uses him he's really fast and he's one of the best and 
But then he teaches everybody to do the ass backwards opposite of what he actually does. If you watch his videos, yeah. um, and I find that very odd. And and a lot of people, um, and myself included, I, I'm not real big on academic stuff. If if somebody's really good at something, I'll take their advice over a textbook almost every time. Um, yeah. But I'm also smart enough to dig a little bit into it. Um, but I, I talked to uh, Jim Wendler. Uh, I don't know if you know who he is, but really uh, famous powerlifter, one of the most famous powerlifters. He actually coaches football now. And um, he said that for a long time, when he left powerlifting, people were paying him to do seminars, and he would travel around, and he would do all these powerlifting seminars, teach people to squat. And he said at some point he was at a seminar, and I don't know what the cue was, he didn't say, but he said he was giving out these cues, and he stopped in mid-sentence one time at a seminar and thought, you know, I've said this a hundred times, and I don't think I actually do it. <laughs> right. But, it's but crazy. He, but like, he had heard it. Thing you might not even be doing yourself. Yeah, but he had heard it so many times that it sounded good, and he was like, oh, yeah, you know. Yep. And then he realized, and he said, that's the big moment when he realized, and, you know, and then it made him a better coach because then he was like, wait a minute, I don't do that. This is what I do. And then he started teaching people what he did, and then it was a whole different ballgame from there forward. But I think uh, Johnson's probably in a similar situation. He has all these people in his ear saying all this stuff, and it was after after his heyday, maybe. And and you know he's not right. out there. He's not out there actually performing uh, at at that level and being real competitive. And he but he's hearing this stuff, and it's probably people he's he trusts and or people that have gained his trust in some way. And now he's just repeating it, and he just doesn't. He hasn't figured it out yet. Um, Yes, but I think he will. I think anybody that was at that level is is pretty smart, and I think um, if if he if he sees your stuff or Wex stuff or whoever's stuff, and I think if he can get thrown in his face, because I haven't seen any mm-hmm. blowback, I haven't seen him argue with anybody. Otherwise, I just don't think maybe he knows. I think you'll see a turnout. I think I think you know he would flip. I think he would he would start being on board with you guys. I think that that would happen right. immediately if he saw, especially one of the breakdown videos where you guys show it. I mean, it can't be any more obvious than that, right? I mean, what's he going to say? Well, I was, I held the world record, but I did it wrong. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, I don't know. That's what we say. It's like, we're not trying to make, we don't have opinions. Right. Dota was based off observation. Yeah. It was, it's all slow motion evidence. Yeah. That's what we, that's what we, we hang our hats on that. We, when someone sends me a, a video, I put it in the slow motion. I, I got to see. I want to make sure and yeah. verify it, because the naked eye is going to fool you. Right. This is why magicians make millions of dollars in Vegas. Yep. They're fooling your naked eye. This is why slow motion evidence could put somebody away for life, but eyewitness testimony is like the least valuable in the court of law. Every sports organization is adopting slow motion because the ref's naked eye are just blowing calls left and right. Right, I mean, they're just ruining the call left and right with their naked eye. But you put it in slow motion, it becomes more obvious. Now, even then, for some reason, I don't know why, but they'll still mess up calls. But the majority of the population is like, "Yeah, that was uh, that was a pass interference, or that wasn't." Right. But the only reason you get to see it is slow motion. Right. So slow motion to us is a is a way to say, cut the shit with the research articles. Like, stop telling stop telling me to read eighty pages of of biomedical gobbledygook when I'm watching with my own eyes 
with context behind it, right? That's the other thing. Like, don't just start looking at slow motion without any context. Right. Like, we have a system that has thousands of hours of slow motion video across the lifespan with context behind it. So when somebody brings something to our attention, there's a circumstance there. There's context to why we say what we say. It's a evidence-based system, and that evidence is slow motion. So to, to us people, like, I, I don't know what to tell them. I'll, I'll show, I mean, we've had arguments with, with dads, with coaches, with everybody about the Olympic lifting videos, and we are literally in the video showing somebody jump backwards and then showing an Olympic lift where they're jumping backwards and people will still fight us on this. And so it's a case of, we just keep putting out slow motion. You know, we used to do more just like a still picture with a lot of arrows. People didn't figure it. They don't get it. So I'm like, we got to go IGTV. We, 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 we got to explain it to the world. We got to teach it. We got to show them what's going on. You got to show Michael Johnson in front of himself. Hey Mike, look what you're doing. Yeah. You ain't, you're, you're, you're a Goda. You're a GOTA, but you're teaching things that are going to make people WOTA, yep. right? Like, you're setting a pressure wave, you're, you're releasing a pressure wave, but you're going to teach somebody to do something the opposite, you know? And so, it's it's faulty language, it's faulty information um, that has got us to where we are with all these misconstrued ideas. Um, but we think that a cleaner language sort of taking back the body. Um, remember, all that academia, all those, you know, breaking down all the muscles and giving them all names, breaking down all the joints and all the ligaments and giving them all names, that's useful for somebody who's going to take apart a body and then put it back together. If I be a surgeon and I'm going to cut you open and then put you back together, yes, I would hope that you know if there's a muscle attached to the talus. But guess what? As a locomotive expert and as a slow motion expert, that don't mean jack to me because I'm looking at the integrated whole. I'm looking at a macro concept. I'm looking at how something's traveling through space and how it's using all of itself to move this ship forward, right? I don't need to put you back together. That's the surgeon's job. We can change the language on the training end because we aren't surgeons, right? We are trainers. We are you know, we are, for us at GoTo, we're locomotive experts. We're a slow motion and analysis. So we got to use a language that can connect with a nine-year-old and it can connect with a 90-year-old if they were in our care, right? Everybody's got to be able to grasp the concept to understand the cue, but it's got to be in plain language where they'll be willing to accept it and understand it. And then, like we said before, you got to have a couple cues at the ready so that you can adjust to the client. Because if you make the client adjust to you, then you're kind of just an ass. You know, you're like, well, you're the idiot. I'm the smart one. It's like, no, maybe you need to fix your fix the way you're saying something because nobody else is understanding you and you're being stubborn. So we see it as sort of taking the body back and giving the control back to the user. You know, I don't know how to put together an iPhone, but I know how to use it. You know, there's a difference there. It's, you know, know your role, but also understand the, the big picture. Yeah, for sure. And I think, uh, man, there's a lot there too, but I think you're listening to Get Strong or Die. We'll be back right after this. Introducing Get Strong AF one-on-one -on -one online coaching with Hannah the Destroyer. This coaching program is for the focused and dedicated woman who wants to get stronger and compete. You'll never be left in the dark from bi-weekly training calls to support via text and email. She has your back every step of the way. There's made-for-you training sessions. Every exercise, every lift, every piece of equipment used has you and your goals in mind. 
And also, there's strong mindset training because we understand that strength and mindset go hand in hand. There will be weekly prompts videos to uplevel your mindset so when it comes to step on the competition floor, you are 100% ready. If you are interested in this, go ahead and email hannah at powerthroughmovement.net or look for more info at powerthroughmovement.net. As far as like the muscles go, um, you know, years ago, uh, bodybuilding was like the biggest thing in the weight room, right? Like everybody wanted to be a bodybuilder. Yep. Bodybuilding publications ruled the land. Like you go to the store, no powerlifting, no strongman. There were no publications, all bodybuilding. And, mm-hmm. and isolating muscles is important for a bodybuilder. Um, but that's where all the information came from. So you have all these people yeah. now, when, when anybody's in the weight room anywhere, and even though bodybuilding, the popularity of it's almost, I mean, it's pretty well, it, it's dead compared to some of the other stuff. Powerlifting's making a comeback. Strongman's going mainstream. But that's still, it's trickled down. It's still in there. People still have this mentality. I, I get it all the time, even in Strongman. People say, why are you lean back when you're overhead pressing? You know, you're not working your shoulders. Well, I'm not trying to work my shoulders. I'm trying to win a competition. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, you know, but... But you hear it all the time, and, and that's one reason they're isolating this stuff. And the other reason is they let these physical therapists, who do a great job at physical therapy, and they're very smart, but they let them do these studies or put their or voice their opinion on strength training or athletic training or whatever. And they're very similar, right? Like, you go to them because you hurt a muscle or you hurt a ligament or you hurt... And they have to isolate it. They have to break it down. Um, I think Kelly Starr a good uh, exception to that rule. I think he has a decent understanding of um, outside of isolating things. Although I wouldn't go to Kelly Starr if I wanted to break the world record in the deadlift, right? I mean, like I wouldn't go to him for that. I would I would go to him right. for, for prehabilitation or rehabilitation or, or mobility or something along those lines. Um, I think you have to understand where things fit um, and where they go and in the context, like you said, and, and who you're going to for what. And um, I think somewhere the, the the water has been muddied, and now NFL coaches want people to train like bodybuilders, and, and it's just yeah, it's just ridiculous, you know, across the board. It, it, <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, that's the that's the other thing is like I, I keep saying this because I use the I use the evolutionary outlook early on of like what was it designed to do. Yeah. Like what? What is the grand? What was the purpose of this body? Well, for three and a half million years, it was to be a hunter gatherer. I mean, that's seven different bipedal apes that were before us that were all working their way to this shape and size that you see today in this design. I should say, people get lost in the shape and size, and they lose that it's a design. Like people like, well, every hip is a different hip. Yeah, no kidding, obviously, but it's still a ball and socket technology. Every foot's a different foot. Yeah, but it's still a foot and ankle design. It has a design to it. That design was forged over millions of years of needing to interact with a certain environment. The environment for the human being, if we took everything away from us and threw us out in the wild, guess what? You wouldn't be worried about pistol squats and handstands. You'd be worried about getting food, man. You'd be focused on the essentials. Like the day-to-day for a human being, what it's really designed to do, I use this walk. You're good. This is what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to walk. You're going to have to squat. You're going to have to hinge. And you're going to have to rest. Now, the throwing, the swinging, the striking – 
that aspect of it, you could go through life nowadays without using it. But for the human being back in the day, that was a fact. You were a forward locomotive design species. Your eyes are in the front for a reason. You are built to walk, jog, run, throw, swing, strike, barefoot, 20 plus miles a day in the heat, in the cold, in the environment, in the elements with your security system up. Your antennas were up. You weren't just carousing the sidewalks, enjoying your day. You you were on your edge of your feet, literally ready to go at any moment. And then when you needed to rest, guess where you rested? You rested on the floor. You didn't have a chair. So the way that everything was designed by Mother Nature has to be in the way that we train it because that's what it's designed for. The further away you get from the design, the more disease you let enter in to the design, right? Like the more you sit, the shittier you feel, the worse your back will be. The, the, the worse the shoe, the more cushion, the more support, the worse your foot will be, right? And so there's a design here. We've got to pay homage to the design. And when we do that, that's when the athlete, i.e. the human, stays safe and that's when they can level up their fluidity because that's what it was all about. It was all about forward locomotion, going to get or going to run away, right? Fight or flight, security, fluidity. The same way that I'm going to throw a right punch is the same way that I'm going to run away. And it's also the same way that I'm going to tuck into a fetal position if I need to hit the ground roll. Or if I somehow need to protect myself from an attack, I'm going to use the same security structure to protect myself. That same security structure is going to be my fluidity structure, right? It's all the same design. And so our training and what Gilly un, you know, discovered or saw was that structure, was that fluidity. And so now all we're saying is let's not train in a way that destroys it. Right. Let's train in a way that promotes it and almost exploits it, because if I know the design, then I can exploit it and I can make it even better than it was intended. Right. If I don't know the design, like I'll use this analogy, I'll say we've got a map of Detroit or your your trainer's got a map of Detroit and they're trying to navigate L.A. If you think the core braces, guess what? You're going to teach the core to brace. If you think tripod foot is how you hit the ground. Well, there you go. You're going to teach tripod foot. But if you know the head over foot's the truth, if you know that outside edge technology is the truth, if you know that inside ankle bone high is the truth, well, then your training will reflect it. And then the people you train will have that input in their nervous system. And that input is what's going to keep them safe. It's what's going to keep them fluid. It's what's going to allow them to play at a high level. It's what all the greats before them did. And that's all we tried to do was uncover what was nature's design? What was going on here? How does it stay safe while it stays fluid? <clears throat> yeah, for sure. And I, th- I think to sum up, I-, I have this thing I say a lot of the time, um, you know, because there's this, like we talked about earlier, people talk about different body parts. And, and one of the big things um, in the strength industry right now is people say like, certain muscles aren't working when they're moving. They'll say like, oh, his, gl- oh. his glutes didn't activate or something. And People always ask me why I don't do that stuff. They're like, why aren't you doing these glute activation things? Why don't you cue that? <laughs> and I, I don't. I, I really, I don't. I mean, maybe 1% of the time, there may be an exception to the rule, but I don't because if you're doing the movement right, if you start from the floor and you work your way up, 
and you fix the feet and then you fix these little things all the way up, the glutes will activate if you're in the right position. If mm-hmm. now you can activate them in the wrong position, sure, you can teach yeah. yourself you can teach yourself to do that. But if it's not if there is something like a glute not activating, that should be a red flag that maybe you're not in the right place. And um, 100%. In my example for this, uh, and I, I tell people this, I say, do you, how many cavemen do you think in prehistoric times, how many, how many cavemen do you think died fighting some saber-toothed tiger or whatever because their glutes didn't activate? Like, do you think, do you ever think Groog was like getting bit in the neck and thought, damn, man, if only I could have activated my glutes, I could have fought this thing off. It's insanity. It it never happened, right? Like, that never happened. So, and they, you know, they they were probably naturally in the best position because of lifestyle. Um, But if people would just start learning from the ground up, the foundational Mm -hmm. stuff, like you guys are showing and teaching, most of those problems would go away. And and then you wouldn't even, you wouldn't even be talking about glutes. You'd be talking about movement patterns and uh, and, and and chain reactions and, and all this other stuff. Yeah. I, I think that all that would just go away. If but again, physical therapists and bodybuilders and trickled down poor coaching and bad cues and all this stuff has just ruined um, all of that. But simplicity is usually king. <laughs> it really is. I mean, that yeah. Just and in, in quickly to, to interject on that. That's a hundred percent the truth. And that's what we say. Like everybody's looking at the muscle and they've got two diagnoses from it. They're like, it's either inhibited or it's not firing. So we got to get it to fire or it's too tight and we got to loosen it up. Basically to me, what they're doing is the bodies of Ferrari. This athlete keeps burning through the same tire. The same tire just keeps getting burned through. And all you're doing is grabbing a new tire off the shelf and putting it on. And we're in the room with you and we're going, whoa, 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 whoa. You got to rotate that wheel. You got to check the frame. The wheel needs to get rotated or he's just going to burn through that tire again. What we're saying is the muscle spindles are being set after the joint capsule gives information to the brain. So the joint capsule and the health of the joint capsule, i.e. what's that pattern, how's the cycle of the hip working, that information is what goes to the brain, and the brain goes, okay, and then it sets, you know, the ab muscles, the hip muscles, the glute, it sets them tighter or looser, depending on what sort of information it's getting, but everybody's just looking at the superficial. They're just taking tires off. You got to go into the deeper part. You got to go to the capsule. You got to fix the capsule first. Then, like you're saying, all the muscle crap that you're dealing with will go away. Most people will come to me, they'll start telling me all the different injuries they had. I go, yeah, yeah, that's great. Let me see you run. I go, I need to see the movement error Mm -hmm. because there's a movement error that's happening. There's a capsular problem. There's There's a joint segment problem somewhere. We'll find it. We'll fix the error. And guess what? Your glute will feel better. Your thigh will feel better. Whatever it is will feel better because we will have gone about it the correct way. We'll go through the proper channels to change the muscle as opposed to just cranking on it with a Theragun or using a foam roller before and after every single session with really no true permanent change coming from Oh, yeah. For sure. <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to get you back on another time because I would love to uh, talk about foam rolling. <laughs> but, uh, oh, um, talk about foam rolling for two hours. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we're about out of time. Um, 
uh, I want to talk uh, people getting a hold of you, getting your information. I know you have books. Um, I think you guys do seminars, all that. Um, if anybody listening is interested, wants to learn, um, go to how, how do they contact you, get a hold of your book, all that stuff. Yeah, but we've got a book out on Amazon. Um, just type in Gota, G-O-A-T-A. It'll lead you to the book. Um, my handles, uh, uh, at Ricky Stanzi, um, at Gota Loco, uh, is Gilly at GLS training is Gary at Cody underscore Gota. If you type in that on Instagram, you're going to get linked to all of us. Um, people can f- feel free to DM us. Um, you know, we've got certifications coming up this year. Um, we've got two websites, really three. If you add in the GLS training facility, uh, com, go to movement.com and go to shop.com where you can see some of the products. So go to movement would sort of give you the concepts and ideas along with the book. If you're already familiar and you're looking for, um, equipment, then you'd go to go to shop. But, um, yeah, check our stuff out on Instagram. Like I said, you know, we're going to start probably wheeling out more IGTV, um, which is where you'll hear more of our concepts in depth. And then sort of the in-between marketing that we do will make more sense to you. So if you are interested in what we're doing and you've been listening, go to my page, go to Gary's page, go to Gilly's page, go to Cody's page, and then just look at our IGTV because I I expand on a lot of the things I already talked about. um, And we will be expanding on these things uh, as we move into 2020. And um, hopefully we can get to a point where we're traveling city to city and and holding little weekend, um, you know, seminars, clinics uh, to kind of spread the word and, and show more people what we've, what we've seen in slow motion. Very cool. Yeah, and um, when I put this up, I'll try to put the link up to some of those websites so people can see it and um, <clears throat> and get a hold of you. And if, if you have any trouble, feel free to uh, DM me, and I'll send you uh, Ricky's way, and um, we'll get you get you set up there. Um, very important stuff, especially if, if you're a coach and you're out there and you're teaching um, our youth. Definitely watch what these guys are doing. I think uh, really great stuff, and there's very few people doing anything even remotely similar. So these are the guys. Um, I want to thank you very much, Ricky, for taking your time out of your day. It's almost two hours. Really appreciate it. Um, And we'll definitely uh, try to get you guys back on here again. Awesome. Thank you, John. I really appreciate the opportunity, man. That was fun. Very cool. This has been John the Viking Mauser with Ricky Stanzi. Get strong or die. episode is brought to you by Mauser Strength Dynamics one-on-one online coaching. So if you're looking for a satisfaction guarantee and you want to win competitions, or maybe you're constantly suffering from injuries and you don't know where to turn, or maybe you're just looking for some one-on-one support from a world-class strength coach, then Mauser Strength Dynamics is the coaching for you. So if you want more information, then find John at John the Viking Mauser on Facebook or at Mauser Strength on Instagram.